It seems like only a few years back when the shift to mobile was a big deal. All businesses had to be ready to have all of their web properties and all their apps work on mobile. Everybody had to think about how to communicate with their employees and have everything that they do in business be compatible with mobile as the interface. And now it seems that that same focus has pivoted to speech, to voice. Amazon Echo has made this popular, Google Home's getting into the game. But the question still looms, where will voice really make a difference in business? What kind of B2B or B2C kind of sectors are going to be impacted by the shift to voice? And how might this happen in the next five years ahead? This week, we speak with uh, Peter Cahill, who's a PhD in computer science with a focus on speech to text. He runs a company called Voices, and Voices focuses on uh, understanding spoken word and leveraging those technologies in different industries. Right now, they have a pretty firm focus on e-commerce as a first kind of beachhead uh, for their company. But we speak with Peter not only about how the understanding of voice with artificial intelligence can be applied to buying products and exactly what needs to be set up and orchestrated for that to happen, but also about in the next half a decade ahead, in the next five years, what kinds of businesses are going to feel the impact of the shift to voice and what kind of use cases of voice are going to become ubiquitous. In other words, they're going to become par for the course and a normal part of our kind of technology interaction experience. Peter has some pretty interesting insights in terms of what he predicts as the future of voice and where it's really going to make a difference for the consumer. And I think that the listeners here are going to find that part rather insightful. I certainly did and enjoyed this conversation. So without further ado, this is Peter with Voices here on the AI and Industry Podcast. So, Peter, I wanted to start us off with a quick grasp of what's possible today with voice. I think some people have an Amazon Echo in their house. Many people don't. Clearly, uh, the domain of voice and natural language understanding and processing is the world that you come from academically. From your perspective, in just, let's say, maybe the last two years, what's now possible with AI for voice that maybe wasn't a couple years back? I think the, the big difference now is just how robust these technologies have become. Before, if, you had a, if a consumer interacted with a voice-based interface two years ago, four years ago, um, they'd always have, you know, they'd be kind of testing it. They'd be saying something to it, and they're really kind of half of their motivation to speak to it is to see if it actually understands them or not. Hmm. And I think now cons- consumers' level of confidence in these types of interfaces has grown dramatically, that now the expectation is that it will work. And with that, if it doesn't work, it can be quite frustrating for them. Um, but by and large, you know, if you speak to an Echo or a Google Home, if you say something that's you know, relatively within its domain, it's going to work and it'll do a good job of it. And do you see this as kind of a combination of all the factors that people attribute to just the adoption to AI in general? Like, well, you know, we've got better hardware and you know, deep learning has become a thing and uh, data is easier to get your hands on. Is it sort of all those same factors or are there some other interesting drivers in these improvements in voice? I, I think all of them things are critical. So you, you need to have modern hardware. Um, you do need to have bigger than ever data sets, better than ever data sets. And, um, you know, while people are saying we're using deep learning, you know, people were using deep learning for speech back in 2008, so almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but the difference is today is that they're using new algorithms. It's still under the deep learning umbrella. Um, but even kind of the technology has been used internally in these systems has evolved a lot. Um, but I find, you know, that's, they're just the essential things to play in this area. Um, really, I think a lot of what's happening now is consumers are learning how to, how to speak to one of these devices. Consumers are feeling more natural speaking to them. Um, there's a lot of kind of, even still, there's 
some unknowns around how do you educate users. So if you give if you give a user an app with a microphone icon or you know a speaker device on a table, how do they learn what they can say to it? What's the functionality of this device? Because users have been conditioned for perhaps two decades or more that the way to learn what a piece of software can do is you look at the screen and you see what buttons are there or what toolbars yeah, are there yeah, yeah. or menu items. With the voice interface, you don't have that. So there's big questions around, you know, how do you edu- educate the user in that way? Interesting. Well, and it seems like, you know, when you do have that visual interface, you can very easily prompt people as to what's possible. You know, if you only have three buttons or you only have two drop downs, well, it's okay. Those are your options. But with voice, it's sort of, you know, I guess what you're saying is there's a big question, where do we start? Absolutely. And then even so, in terms of voices and our e-commerce product, we find that in some cases, you know, the user will tell the tell an app what they want it to do. And while the app is doing that, you know, it can be very useful just in some small text at the end of the screen to maybe inform the user about, you know, other things they could say, you know, in a very kind of natural language way. Um, or maybe maybe if what the user said to the app was ambiguous in some way and the app will take a guess as to what it should do. Um, in small text at the bottom, you can just tell the user that if you meant that you wanted it to do this other thing, just tell it. And so users can see that, you know, get an idea for what kind of functionality is there, what they can say to it. Um, but you always want to keep it within the kind of natural language realm that, you know, these apps should be communicating back in natural language just as you expect the user to talk to them. Yeah, very interesting. I think that, you know, cracking, kind of cracking usability and, you know, what's going to make this a norm has to do with figuring figuring out, again, what what those usability sort of cases look like. I mean, for, for Apple, I guess it was... Um, you know the the drag and drop files and desktop on on the on the Apple that they they took from uh, from the Xerox Park Lab there and kind of that that seemed to kind of kick things off. It seems safe to say that we're only just getting our feelers out for what that looks like for voice for what kind absolutely of, yeah. I, mean, I, I think eventually you know we will get to a point where like in the current generation, which are really first generation voice interfaces like. Uh, Amazon Echo, Google Home, and so on. Yeah, you know, users really need to know not even what can they do; they need to know how to talk to them. And I think we'll we'll see that disappear, you know, eventually at some point. You know, and the ideal case is you you don't need to know how to talk to it; you can just speak to it as you would speak to a person, and it would understand what you want. I'm I'm still absolutely blown away by the success of uh, Echo, as probably many people are. I mean, in terms of how drastic, absolutely. in terms of how drastic of a change that was, like. You know that was not a modification of an existing technology like that. It too much, right? I mean, people are familiar with Siri, but I mean, here's a little thing in the middle of your kitchen that you're gonna say its name and then order products. Like, wow, that is so. If it wasn't Amazon or, or Google pushing that, I just don't. I or if it, I, maybe maybe Amazon was kind of the one to do it. Let me ask you this: You guys are focusing on e-commerce as kind of a first domain. I think you know you had mentioned to me off microphone, Peter, that. The e-commerce world feels a lot of urgency around catching up with voice because they see, you know, Amazon in particular and, you know, Google in addition, you know, really moving products and making voice become part of how products are purchased and and they don't want to be left uh, behind. In terms of what's possible with e-commerce, my guess was, you know, you guys now at Voices are at a place where you have a product to sell. You, you've, you're, you're out of academia, which is kind of where you started, and you're at a place where now you can offer something to businesses. My guess is e-commerce has some, some particular hiccups and challenges with voice that you guys had to overcome to kind of make something saleable. It would seem like part of that is 
some degree of, of kind of an understanding of time where if you ask a second and a third and a fourth question within the same 30 seconds or a minute, that it's about the mm-hmm. same product, that we're re- refining a search for kind of the same the same particular pair of sneakers. Like, let me see those in black. Well, maybe it's like if if I've been talking about sneakers for the last six questions, then the computer maybe should take into account that I want to see those sneakers in black. I just I just pulled that one out of thin air. Peter, you would know better than I. What have been the particular kind of hurdles in e-commerce that you had to overcome? So the, the uh, I guess kind of from a technology point of view, the real challenge there is the AI needs to be able to understand how do consumers describe the products that the retailer sells. And so in the case of sneakers, you may find people describe them by color, uh, maybe by the material they're made out of, maybe by well, obviously the size, uh, price, things like this, whereas different types of products people will describe in different ways. And that was one of the kind of big milestones for us was where, you know, with the Voices Commerce platform, what we do is we let the retailers or brands upload their product catalog, including the you know the names of the products. And you know, like on any e-commerce page, you would have the natural language text they use to describe their product. They upload that to us as well. Um, and our AI will actually read that English text and use you know the collection of English text of all of their products to build out an understanding of how do people you know describe these products, what are the relevant details of these products, and so on. So then when a user asks, you know, I'm looking to buy you know, black leather sneakers for around $50. And the AI understands exactly what that is. And it's able to help them on their journey to to really find the find the product they want quicker. Got and I it. think that's for the e-commerce for the e-commerce retailers, that's really where the value add is. You know, even if you think back to brick and mortar retail versus e-commerce, e-commerce removed a lot of friction from, you know, needing to leave your home to go to the store to buy yes. something. Yes. I think now, past few years from what we're seeing from the retailers we're working with, They've seen mobile commerce emerge, even though the screen is smaller. They see you've got very limited space to display the products. You know, t- typing search strings on a on a cell phone as well isn't an enjoyable experience. But in many cases, that's more convenient to do than to take out your laptop and load it up and log into yeah. some e-commerce website. And then yeah. voice is kind of the next voice is the next step to that. To you know, let's remove the friction even further. Where if I could just take out my cell phone and, like I said earlier. So I want to buy black sneakers for black leather sneakers for around $100 and just to instantly get relevant search results. And then when I look at them, say, yeah. actually, do you have any by, you know, Nike? And then just, you know, for it to be able to follow up that, you know, really the goal should be to make it easy for people to get to where they want to get to. And in the case of e-commerce, we're seeing, you know, people can find the products they want maybe 10 times quicker, in some cases more. And I think in e-commerce, that's historically what has always won is removing friction. You know, make it easy for people to get to where they want to get to. Makes a ton of sense. Voice seems to be a great interface for that. Yep. And clearly, there's so many other industries where voice could be relevant. But I mean, I think e-commerce has a bunch of advantages. You had mentioned there's a lot of inbound interest from from the, the e-commerce world for voice. But also, voice tends to be broad consumer facing. And so you get a higher volume of interactions. And obviously, you would need that to kind of train the machine. It, it, just to touch on a point, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that voice sort of, you know, the decreasing of, of friction of action is sort of what's driving adoption, um, you know, from desktop to phone to voice. I wonder when they're going to have the neural interface where you think about the shoes and you can buy them or, uh, or, or where you can just buy happiness itself and then not even need products. <laughs> uh, but th- that's, that's its own. <laughs> Those are, I think, the two next levels of friction reduction, which are 
would require their own podcast. But let the we'll product arrive before you order. Yeah, yeah, I think that would. That, yeah, that, that's probably where we're going somehow. I, Amazon, I'm I'm certain is working on it in in some laboratory somewhere. That that being said, in terms of the the how on on how these things work, clearly, Peter, you know the the base technology that you folks are working with is what you were kind of working on in in PhD land when you were back in academia. Um, but clearly, also there has to be some tailoring to the individual client and their range of products. I imagine you guys might be working with. Uh, people who sell apparel and, and clothing and shoes. You might also be working with a company that sells, you know, kitchen appliances and decorations and things like that. And while there is some sort of base technology that could be used, there is also kind of a feeling out period that needs to happen to make things smooth. My guess is you said, you know, again, people would upload their uh, product catalog. You know, again, if we talk about how the technology works today, I know that, you know, you would have a whole bunch of improvements in the future, but the, the audience is going to be eager to know, you know, man, how would this work, you know, into literally today if we froze the technology? People upload their product catalog mm -hmm. with all the descriptive words of the different products. What's the process after that? In other words, I would imagine there's some kind of an uploading process like that. There's probably some kind of strategy around what do we want to manually tag things with so that we can sort of maybe, you know, jumpstart the machine a little bit in terms of its understanding and correlation and and uh, kind of grasp of the products. And then, of course, we've got to feed in a whole bunch of voice data from, you know, customers for, for a couple months to kind of pick up on those patterns and make sure that we can kind of correct where the errors were and kind of iterate a little bit. I think anybody tuned in from the business world, so the, the layperson world with, you know, machine learning like this, they would either A, think it's magic, or B, think that it's BS and it's impossible. Clearly, it's somewhere in between. It's it's very complicated stuff, but it it can it can be done. It probably just takes a bit of iterating. What does that process look like to get things to work and click in a business environment? What are those phases of integration here? Sure. So the the first point you mentioned there is correct, and that people will upload their their product catalog, and if if they want to just give us a live stream of as their products change, you know, as different products come out or are removed from market, you know, they they can just send us the updates. Um, but the, the second stage you mentioned of having kind of manually labeling the data um, is something that we don't actually do. So the all of the effort, you know, the R&D effort we put behind Voices Commerce uh, was to be able to do this uh, process entirely automatically where they give us their product catalog. It goes through various deep learning training uh, stages. And the result of that, um, which will be available for them in a matter of, you know, a few hours, um, is that their voice AI is ready. They don't need to tune it with, with voice data. Um, it's already done behind the scenes fully automatically. Um, they don't need to label data or we don't need to label the data. It's very much a fully automated process that once they upload their product catalog, our servers behind the scenes will take that catalog and do everything it needs to do with it and automatically deploy a voice AI endpoint for them so that they can just hook into it from their mobile website or mobile app um, in a matter of hours. It's very straightforward for them to do it. Got it. And now, just to, to be clear here, um, and again, I, I understand that it behooves you to frame this as magic, and maybe some elements of it are. Uh, I'm just going to poke around here. So my assumption is, you know, let's say we're talking about clothing again. You had mentioned that some people will describe things by color or by material. Is this information yep. included often in the product catalog, Peter? You know, I imagine a machine maybe can... In the natural language text. So yeah, in the, for any of the product pages, they'd have several paragraphs describing Got what's the it. color of the... Okay, great, great, great. So that, that can be drawn soft. into the machine. So the machine can understand that the word suede is used for this pair of shoes. Exactly. But it's, if it looks across the entire product catalog, 
it'll most likely see that suede is used reasonably often to describe shoes. So it's it's clearly a descriptive term for shoes, and it'll it'll have an understanding of it from that. And when that's paired with some of the data we already have in house, um, you know, it would have an understanding of suede being a type of material. You know, it's clearly been used to describe at least certain types of products in that case. Um, and therefore, that that's fully automatically built into the models. And so if the user says something like, oh, do you have these in suede? Um, the, the voice AI behind it um, would understand that immediately. No problem. Got it. Okay. In- interesting. So, and I imagine, again, there's some probably edge cases that are a little funky and crisscross a little bit much between one store to another uh- and, and that have to be calibrated. But to your to your point some very common terms that you've already trained a system on that then the customer kind of brings in as well. There's already an existing, you know, for lack of a better term with machines here, understanding uh, thereof. My assumption is too, Peter, and, and this is not because I'm a pessimist with the technology. Obviously, I, you know, we're focused on AI pretty ardently here because I believe it's going to be a big deal. But I also know that if it was like magically and instantaneously plug and play, then everybody would be doing it. For the most part, there there is some... For even for customer service tickets, you know, if, if people want to train a customer service system to to tag tickets or automatically reply to tickets, sure, we upload our ticket history. You know, we we aim to train the system, but then we look at how it's responding, how it's replying, you know, how it's reading things, and potentially make some adjustments. Like, oh man, well they're they're interpreting this in kind of the wrong way, and we might need to to tweak and adjust that. Some degree of tweaking and adjusting mm-hmm. for machine learning systems is normal. That doesn't mean it's a bad technology. It just means this is how machine learning is kind of trained. What does that process look like in the first couple months with a new client on the voice uh, side of things as the technology sits uh, today? So I think that the tweaking tends to be, and it's much more around long, uh, kind of long tail type stuff. So, you know, the fully automated platform will will deliver something that, you know, works immediately. It's, it is ready to go in that sense. Um, but, you know, with any, if you, for many of the online retailers now, many of them would have, maybe hundreds of thousands of products and yeah. you may find for certain products, maybe for certain products, some terms are used in a, in a way where it's not how that term is normally used or you get, you know, you know, I guess there's various quirks of products. You could even t- you know, take the iPhone 10, for example, where it's spelled iPhone X. And so you, there is just some, you can have some long tail stuff and that, that can be dealt with very easily. But still, it's, we, we would find when a retailer uses our platform that, you know, for the vast, vast majority of products they have, and it would work immediately without issues. Got it. And it behooves you to say that. And I'll I'll trust you based on your PhD there. Um, the 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 uh, the, the audience knows of uh, yeah we we just we we got to sift through a lot of stuff here as as industry analysts. But my guess is that there's a feedback loop where if somebody says you know somebody's talking about a particular product and clearly they don't get what they want. Either A, they will verbalize the fact that they did not get what they want, or B, they'll drop off without purchasing. And maybe either of those will be kind of signals as to what are those long tail edge cases that aren't being met. My, my guess is there's some continuous feedback loop of which ones are very smoothly taking people to satisfaction and which ones are yeah. not. Is it when people drop off? Is it when people say swear words and <laughs> angrily hang up the phone? You know, what is the, what's the criteria? I, I think that. The, the most valuable signals are when people drop off or when they complete a transaction. Mm. And so if, if the software can learn that, you know, after maybe the user had a search query, then maybe they refined their search a couple of times, but then it ended in a transaction, you've got a very clear signal that you helped them along the path to get yes. to where they wanted to be. Um, in, other, in other cases, you know, it's 
I think that's the most valuable signal when they drop off. You know, many of us will browse an, an e-commerce site without buying something. Maybe that's we browse true. it several Very times. Very true. Yeah. Purchasing a product, so you need to be kind of careful about just assuming if someone drops off. That, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Th- that's why I thought the feedback yeah. loop would be challenging, Peter, because y- you know sometimes I've just gone to Amazon and you know just to kind of comb around and then left, and it's not because they did a bad job. It's just because you know I was looking something up for a friend or I was you know, just, just yeah. curious. And I wasn't actually buying, you know, in terms of knowing, whoa, this is not returning what people want. What is the signal that tells anybody that? The best is if, if you know, the user or a customer buys one of the products, um, because that's a very clear signal that they got to where they wanted to go. Okay, so, so it's easier to know when something worked than not worked, obviously, because not worked could also just be they were curious and they weren't intending to buy yeah, in the absolutely. first place. Okay, got it. So you can I find where product- you're, yeah. Cool. That's a sufficient signal. Um, and maybe you find, maybe, you know, maybe there is a certain pattern around when people drop off. And if there's a clear pattern there, the software will learn from it as well. Got it. Um, but the, the obvious signal is if somebody takes out their credit cards, then oh, they yeah. got to where they want to. That, that's a, it's a business owner, Peter. That is, that's a good signal right there. So that, that being said, last question as we wrap up, and I think this will be an area where, um, you know, your, your kind of nutshell description, I think will be very valuable. You know, we talk a lot about where is the technology today to get a grounded understanding in that. And I I think, you know, I certainly have a bit of a better understanding of how that works in e-commerce. When you look ahead and you look at the applications of voice in business and where you would suspect this would become the norm, what are your predictions around voice adoption? Clearly, e-commerce is feeling the heat because of Amazon. But for all I know, Peter, you might feel even more optimistic about other kind of industry applications. When you look ahead five years and you say, where is voice going to become normal for you know people interacting with their technologies? What do you see in the future in your own crystal ball here? Yeah, I think for me, I'd always categorize it into consumer facing and enterprise facing. And so you, like, you know, many, many businesses today even so one example could be if you think of any of the phone calls that happen from you know from any business um you know financial trades which many still happen over phone calls yes um, imagine if imagine if you had a, an ai in every meeting room in an office and could analyze what's happening in all the meeting rooms and report it to the higher ups or minute meetings automatically i think there's a lot of opportunities there um i think we'll see a lot of opportunities in the consumer space customer services one that i think everybody Everybody would like to never have to be put oh, on hold. Oh, God. To, yeah, you're, you're to totally right. Yeah. Basic update. And that's a huge industry. I, I don't think the technologies are reliable enough for it just yet. Um, but with, within two or three years, we're going to see it. Um, and I think that can spread very, very quickly because it can scale out. You know, all of the infrastructure for it is there already. Um, and in many cases, uh, software AI, um, it, it, could, it could query in the background all of your previous interactions with that company to be aware of all of your account details. And so when you talk to it, it could probably be you know more aware of your situation and who you are context, than your typical yeah. human agent. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, drawing on that context. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big one. Um, entertainment at home, like smart home in general, but I think more so entertainment at home that you know there's really no technology reason why we need to have remote controls anymore. You should just be able to talk to your TV or to your hi-fi and say, you know, play this song, put this movie on, um, you know, wh- whatever type of commands that you want to say to it. Um, and I think they'll, they'll just become so standard, uh, we won't even really notice them. And t- today's technology is good enough for it. Um, but just in various industries, it just takes time for technologies to propagate from 
the lab into our product. Yeah, well, just to touch on two quick things, we'll we'll wrap up, Peter. I really appreciate your insights. I realize we're coming up on time, but I think you're touching on some very interesting points. You mentioned smart home in general, but then you said entertainment in particular. Let me ask, you know, you're the fellow with the, the background in this voice domain. Why do you have a particular optimism with entertainment? Why do you see that as kind of the smart home consumer use case that maybe is the low hanging fruit for voice? Why do you feel that way? Um, it's right now it's just so much friction. You know, in some places people have several hundred cable TV channels. Nobody likes holding the down button on a remote for five minutes trying to get to the show they want to watch. <laughs> yeah. you know, why, why do we even need to know what what channel it's on? Why can't I just say, you know, I want to watch this movie or I want to watch, you know, this football game, and let the TV just find what channel is that on, oh, switch to it. Um, okay. But I shouldn't even need a remote control to do it. I should just be able to say to the TV and. It's really a feature that should be in a TV and not really the provided by the cable provider. Stuff like that just becomes so invisible. Once you have it and it works, you wonder how did you survive without it? it? And I think we're going to see a lot of voice can be quite invisible in that way. Once it works, you look at where doesn't voice exist yet. Um, but we will see it, I think, in many consumer-facing verticals. Yeah, I think, well, Amazon's already kind of setting some of the precedent, but it'll be interesting to see if your prediction about entertainment is correct there. I, I like that idea, the fact that there's so many options, there's, there's so much clicking, kind of like in e-commerce, you know, everybody just wants to say, show me show me the newest Air Jordans. They just want to see the newest Air Jordans. They don't want to type in a search and then click on the second button and then do all these other things. And I think maybe entertainment's the same way. I can't wait until I can tell my house, make me a sandwich. Uh, but that's... That's its own kind of robotics problem that I don't think anybody's solved yet. Um, very, very last question, Peter, enterprise. You mentioned recording meetings and being able to potentially report that to higher-ups. When you think low-hanging fruit, an enterprise application that you think will it has a very good likelihood uh, of becoming a norm in the next half a decade ahead, enterprise voice application, what do you see as kind of the lowest hanging fruit there? Do you think it's that meeting type application or would it be something else that you'd have the most optimism about? Um, I, th I think the, the main concern with enterprise will be data privacy. Uh, yes. Nobody will want their audio data to go into the cloud. You're right. Um, you know, really, if, if they don't want that to happen, there's probably three or four companies that have the technology, you know, own a complete stack. Voices is one of them. Um, IBM is another who kind of services enterprise and the other will be Nuance and it's there's very few companies out there that could provide it and I would imagine it's it really depends on where them companies focus um, I, I don't think there's a technology buyer to it where you know it wouldn't go to the cloud it would be on-prem um, yeah. but I think for any business you know even if it wasn't to be reported to higher ups if it was a matter of just automatically minuting meetings or to be able to have a device where you could say in that meeting two weeks ago what did we say the next steps were going to be and just to be able to instantly have access to that information. And um, I think it'd be transformative for many businesses, especially for the kind of larger enterprises out there. Cool. Okay, nice. So those are those are sort of some visions of the future that maybe our, our audience could mull over in terms of what might be possible in voice for enterprise as well. I appreciate some color on that, Peter. I know you think a lot about this as you have to running voices. Uh, and I think it's cool to be able to get some of your kind of premonitions in this domain. So that's all we have for time. But I sincerely appreciate you sharing some of your insights here on natural language understanding and voice, Peter. So thanks so much for joining us on AI and Industry. Yep, thank you.
That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.